and welcome to episode 182 of the Weird Science Marvel Comics a podcast. I'm Jim and I'm going to be talking about three X-Men books because this is going to be an X-Men catch-up episode where I talk about Excalibur, New Mutants, and X-Force. But before we get into that, let me tell you where you can find us. We are on Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. We have a website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com, and we have a Patreon account, Patreon.com slash Weird Science. And that is a thing where if you do go and help us out and support us, you'll get plenty of shows in return, including one of the things we do each and every week. Every Wednesday, me and Brandon get together and we talk two books that are picked by the bad butts of the Fresh Start crew. Boom. And this past week, since we're not getting a ton of new books still, it's a one new, one classic deal. And they pick Scream Curse of Carnage number six and Fantastic Four number 232 from 1981, the John Byrne deal there starting off. So if you want to go listen to that again, you can go and listen to a bunch of other things at patreon.com slash weird science. But I'm going to go off right now. And we're going to start with Excalibur. And we're talking about Excalibur number five in particular, written by Teeny Howard, art by Marcus Toe, colors by Eric Arcianega, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And I'm going to read the recap in just a second after I tell you that this series is just not great. I am not enjoying it now. I tried to get on board early by doing some research. I think that I am up to speed on things. It's just that the story and what exactly is going on, opening up the gates between our world and the other world just doesn't interest me. Uh, The whole idea of Captain Britain seemed to be the big thing about this. And the things with Brian and Betsy, that's kind of pushed on the side. You end up having the stuff like Britain doesn't want a mutant Captain Britain. I don't really care about that. And as I start to really enjoy Apocalypse as a character, I get to this and it's boring. And that's my biggest problem with this issue in particular. It's boring and it shouldn't be. There's a lot of cool stuff that could be going on and may be going on. But instead of it being cool and fun, it's just boring. Things are set up in odd ways and things are repeated that just annoy me the third, fourth time they repeat it. One of the things that's going to be repeated, I will point out that it is in the recap that I'm going to read right now. The Veil Between Worlds. 
With her brother Brian possessed by an evil sorceress, Betsy Braddock has become Captain Britain and must bear the weight of all that name entails. Rogue has been trapped in a mysterious floral stasis, and while Apocalypse has been playing nice, Gambit sees evil lurking beneath the veneer of magic, as everybody probably should. Jubilee's fears for the safety of her son Shogo were relieved when he transfigured into a dragon of Otherworld. Now, this is where you have to pay attention. Just remember these lines. But that relief disappeared when the team learned that his dragon fire dissolves the fragile barrier between Otherworld and their own world. Now there's nothing to stop all kinds of mystical beasts from coming through. Nothing but Excalibur. Okay, so number one, the barrier between Otherworld and our world has been dissolved. Why do you need the gates then? Why do you need Apocalypse to worry about the gates? I know that eventually, you know, the veil might strengthen again or whatnot, but... You know, it's kind of going against the whole idea of having this free travel between both Earth and the other world. So that's kind of one thing. But this whole description of what Shogo did turned into a dragon, ended up using the dragon fire. That, that is explained to us. We're, we're on board. And I can understand that maybe not everybody in the book will know that. But it's not that important for us to get them all up to speed. We can assume that they ask somebody. We can assume that they're just in the middle of fighting these mystical creatures that maybe they can get the info later. It just keeps coming up and it keeps getting explained. And at one point it's explained and I I will go through it. And I really think that it is such a backdoor way to continue the plot. And it's just it makes little to no sense and it starts to become infuriating and it'll start right away. You start with a, a scene where you end up having Gambit falling into a crevasse. And I know what was going on before we ended up having Richter and Gambit under, you know, in under Britain so that they can meet these druids who end up giving them the crystals that are the old bones of the mutants with the powers that Apocalypse wants. You know, I'm trying to just show you. At least I know kind of what's going on here. But you just start with Gambit falling into a crevasse. That Richter jumps in after him. The only way that he can save Remy is by grabbing one of these crystals out and using its power. Now, that depletes the power from the crystal. This scene is so just there to be there that, that it's laughable. Because what this only does is get Apocalypse pissed off later because there's no power in the crystal. And it was used to save Remy. And that, that triggers both things trigger them. But that's what ends up. You need this to happen so that we can get the big cliffhanger. So you have a out of nowhere scene that really doesn't need to be there, but does to force the cliffhanger. And this forced nature just continues throughout this issue. That and just this disjointed, weird dialogue that goes on because you end up having Richter save Gambit and then they go to the surface. And even then, it, it looked like they might have been at the surface. The art is a little off in this one. And so they now get to the surface where you see these mystical creatures. At this point, looks like they might be waiting in line at the, you know, in school for lunch. They're all just lined up. I, I don't understand these creatures that are with Richter and Gambit because they, they act very odd. And so they're there and Richter says, what the hell is this? And, and now we get the first or maybe the second 
recap of what it is. Oh, you don't know about the baby dragon? Oh, man. Hey, pierce the veil. Other world creatures. You know, let's go. So, so, uh, so then we go from there where you then just out of nowhere just have to throw in a line so that Teeny Howard can get a pop culture reference that will show that, oh, my, I, I like the bands that she likes because I do. But out of nowhere, you have Remy say, like, we didn't hey, get enough fun panicking in the streets of London. And then, yeah, you end up having Richter. Okay, we have one band we listen to in common. We can work with that. You didn't need this. It is the Smiths is what it is. And I, I wanted him to say back, like, yeah, but we haven't been to Birmingham. <laughs> you could have had some fun with it. But, yeah, she doesn't. You end up getting a call then. A call of the mind from Apocalypse that says, to me, my coven, Come to the lighthouse. It's under attack. They they have an issue, and I did too when I first read it. The uh, coven. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that later. Just get your butts to the lighthouse. All right. Smell you later, apocalypse. And and in this scene, you have these creatures, right? So one of them is an eyeball with bat wings. There should be everything fun about that. I should be reading this. There is a scene with an eyeball with bat wings. I should think this is the fun thing of the century. And it's boring. And so you end up then having them fight off a little as Apocalypse is talking. But then when they go to leave, they just skedaddle off. They just start running down a road. Now, the eyeball with bat wings possibly is chasing them. It doesn't look like it. It looks like he's going somewhere else. He's going downtown to visit a friend. The the other mystical creatures are sitting around like it is lunchtime for the union of mystical creatures. They ain't getting up for nothing. It's union time here, baby. They ain't get they're just sitting there. They look as bored as me. There's, and, and just to, to add insult to injury, they're doing nothing but sitting around. And Gambit still turns around and tries to shoot him as he's leaving like a jerk. They're, they're doing nothing. Uh, so we then go, and they're going to go off to the lighthouse. So then we go off. we got to get everybody on board. So Betsy is there, and she's fighting off. In, in downtown London, it looks like that she's fighting off these creatures with Pete Wisdom. And they're talking about that meeting they had with Coven Akaba. A little bit of a, oh, man, that was a date. That wasn't a date. Yeah, it was. You were having wine with the, with the racist wizard, all this stuff. Well, they're fighting, and, and you end up going where Pete Wisdom gets to a ladder and starts climbing up the ladder. And as he's saying, you know, you got to protect me, Captain Britain. I'm a humble citizen of Britain. Isn't that your job to protect me? She says, where are you even trying to go? And then he says, oh, that window up there, it's my place. Well, she comes over, grabs him, and they fly up to the window to go in. And then she says, "Ugh, I ought to drop you for that. For what? She ended up grabbing him to take him up to the window. And then he kind of makes it seem like it was his ploy to get, you know, I'm going to get you back in my place. They're under attack. They're running from mystical creatures And he was just going up a ladder And she grabbed them So they go in And you end up having them almost get hit by fire From a creature Well they go in And it's funny too Because whatever is shooting that fire at them Must just go away Because then they go in and have just talking time Inside of the apartment And so Pete says Hey look And he looks out the window And he goes I can see a Krakoan gate 
from my flat. Not sure what it will do to the rent prices, but it's certainly useful. And then she goes, uh, and then he just says, you can admit it. I'm clever. It won't kill you. What's clever? That he got an apartment near the gate? It just, whatever. And then just, he ends up saying, all right, well, whatever. You you go off and do your thing. I'm going to stay here. And she's like, no, no, no. You got to come. You know, I'll save you. We'll go. And he's like, no, I'm staying here. Just remember to get me a Mai Tai. I'm like, I, I hope we never see you again, Pete Wisdom. I hope we never see you again. Uh, then you go into Rogue's dreamscape mind of the coma. She has been greeted by a flaming spirit dog with a sword. It ends up being Rachel Summers. It, it's prestige. She ends up saying it by the end. This dog is seems to be there to lead Rogue through this dreamscape so that she can wake up from her coma. To do that... She basically leads Rogue down the one road there that leads to the one bit of any sort of semblance of a structure in this whole place. So basically, she is going to follow the dog exactly where anybody would go anyway. There's no other place to go. One road that leads directly to this place they have to get to, which does look like Stonehenge. Then it kind of changes into an Easter Island look. You end up having a circle that is the X-Men circle and you have the Easter Island statues turning more and more into apocalypse, which then they end up opening up the one mouth and light comes out. And this is where Rogue remembers. Oh, yeah, I remember there was a gate apocalypse light, all this. Oh, gosh, I remember it now. And so we go back to our world. And there's Apocalypse. It's Apocalypse. Captain Britain has met up with them. You end up having Jubilee. You end up having Richter and Gambit there as well. And you end up having Apocalypse. He's talking about how he had planned all this time for this thing to happen, all the things going on to get to be able to go to other world, all that. And it's happening too soon. He says eons of waiting and it's all happening too damn soon. And then you just get another panel that he's just sitting there saying, not yet, but not yet, soon, not yet. All right. And so now we have the continuation of the recap. Hey, Apocalypse, what the hell is going on? Now, this is the one where I told you that I think that this is only there to set up the next bunch of lines of dialogue so that we can find out that what is happening indeed is okay to Apocalypse, that actually he can use this whole piercing of the veil for his own means to an end. Because he says, Shoga, and I don't I don't know if you've heard this before, Shogo's dragonfire melted the reality of parts of that realm, causing a hole through which other world creatures are emerging. That's number three, that we've heard this. Uh, you know, please. And then from that, again, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna repeat it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it nice here. Shogo's dragonfire melted the reality of parts of that realm, causing a hole through which other world creatures are emerging. Does that sound like he's mad at anybody? Does it sound as if he is throwing shade at a particular character? Does it sound like he's answering a question when somebody said, what the hell is going on? Well, Jubilee, she doesn't think that it's just answering a question because out of nowhere she yells, He's a good boy, and I'm not sorry. Well, why Why would you be? Because he didn't say anything. He didn't say, oh, that damn Shogo, 
he, he did something stupid and he should have known better. He, he didn't say, oh, that Shogo, I wish he was dead and never went to the other world. No, none of this. He just said what everybody else has said. I, I wish that Jubilee was there and yelling at the narrator at the beginning for the recap because she just says he's a good boy and I'm not sorry. All right, that, that's great. I'm glad that you cleared that up there, Jubilee. Then continues, I didn't know he would do that. Watch how you talk about my kid. N- nobody said anything bad. And it's only to set up this next line where Apocalypse says, on the contrary, it's exactly what I needed to make our move against Morgan Le Fay. I thank you, Jubilee. And she doesn't even, she doesn't even say, you're welcome. Girlfriend. But yeah, all that was was to set up this line so that we know that Apocalypse is fine with this. You could have skipped everything else on this page and said, oh man, you know, somebody, instead of asking what's going on, somebody's saying, oh no, Apocalypse, our plans are ruined. Oh no, no, on the contrary, this is exactly what we needed for our plans to succeed. That's all you needed. That's it. And we would have had another half a page. Probably for nonsense dialogue, so maybe we're lucky. Well, you you keep going because Apocalypse and Gambit now get into it. Gambit then says to Apocalypse, hey, buddy, it seems like a coincidence that Rogue is waking up when I wasn't supposed to be here, as if Apocalypse set it up and was trying to do something bad. Apocalypse says to Gambit then, whoa, 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 this isn't what I was planning for. This is unexpected. My plans have been altered. To Gambit says back, yeah, because I altered them. You just started screaming that you think that Apocalypse was doing something behind your back to have her wake up to only reveal that you're the one who made her start to wake up because we find out that he went and got Rachel to go into Rogue's mind, even though Betsy couldn't, and have a little bit of mind tapping. He says, gave a nudge. A whole nudge there is what's going on because he wanted his wife woken up and to get woke and also not to be under, you know, the thumb of Apocalypse here. And so then Apocalypse flips out and starts yelling about all these thousands of years of waiting and planning and things but you just said that everything was fine but we're gonna go and so they're they're about to fight you go back in to visit rogue who basically then is saying i know that apocalypse is going to try to take credit for me waking up it's an odd thing to say but and i'm not a kept woman and speaking of which i have a feeling that gambit's gonna die i better hurry this up and she says that and she ends up even calling out this you know dog this wolf as as prestige as they go she has the sword kind of stabs herself in the sty. don't know what's going on and then says oh look there's a throne up there you know thrones are good for sitting but if you're just been a walking it's just a chair what the and so ends up sitting on the chair everything's changing the world's changing oh my god time to wake up rogue And yeah, as you have Apocalypse beating the crap out of Remy, as they're still fighting all these creatures, things like that, you end up having him needing the crystals. He ends up just bashing Gambit into the ground. Then he's like, okay, the the ritual is on. We don't, and one of my other problems, we don't really know what the ritual is supposed to look like or what they're doing. So he grabs the crystal. What? This thing's dead. It doesn't have anything in it. What are you doing, Richter? What? Those crystals, we, we gave them to you. 
Yeah, but it, it had power in it. Oh, I had to use that because at the beginning, like I said, you needed this to happen. Gambit tripped and fell, and I had to save him. So, you know, I just used a crystal. It's not a big deal, right? It is a big deal. This is the whole thing. He's yelling. You end up even having Captain Britain go, oh, my God, yeah, Gambit, uh, you're all messing this up. This is the worst. So then you just <laughs> you have Apocalypse go over to Gambit and start acting as if he can just pick his pocket of this powers. He's like, okay, well, I think it's somewhere in here. Is it in his back pocket? It's, oh, oh, man, I need it. I got to get it. Well, that's when Rogue comes out and just flies in. Bashes Apocalypse. Apocalypse is kind of talking to her like, all right, the gang's back. Me and you in it to win it. She's like, there is no me and you. Get out of, you know, they start arguing. And now after all of this, you pretty much get the deal where now Apocalypse is going to alter the plan the seventh time where he just says to Ro, kill me. Just kill me. This will be great. This will be our plan. Kill me. Kill me. And she does. She kills Apocalypse. And ba-boom. Everything goes. There's a purple the energy everywhere. It looks as if the gates now might be open to the other world, but the mystical creatures have actually been gone and sent back. All these things going on as they're trying to figure out what has happened. And then you end up off panel rogue saying, why is everybody looking at me? And it's such a cliche to just get to the uh, you know, the, the classic cliffhanger of, oh, what's going on, everybody? Because you end up having a, what, what would you call it, apocal rogue? Rogue eclipse? You, you end up having a combination of apocalypse and rogue. Who just wants to kiss her man? He don't want to kiss that. He ain't going to kiss no apocal rogue. I wouldn't. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I'm a pretty desperate guy But yeah, everybody's there And she's like, what's a girl gotta do To get a welcome back kiss around here And hopefully, if this was I, I would love it that she was talking In Apocalypse's voice That that would be even better But yeah, that ends it And it's nonsense And even with that, I, I don't really care About Apocal Rogue And this book bores me there is just this issue in particular, just the nonsense of the dialogue and the setup and the transitions and the progression is awful. It, it's just awful. And it just infuriated me. And I ended up reading it way too many times to get ready for this. This is now the book. At least I can sit there and fall on angels. I only have two more to go and I know it's over. With this Excalibur, I, I want to drop it now. I, I don't want anything to do with it. And if I really did, if I, if I was somebody buying and I did, what am I missing out on? Because it's the singular story of something I don't care about. So that's it's that. But I'm giving it a 3.5 out of 10. Probably one of my least favorite issues of any of these X books since I started doing these recaps but i'm gonna go off now to new mutants number five and new mutants number five is written by jonathan hickman art by rod rice and letters by vc travis lanhan and you get a very very quick recap in the character page that just says trouble follows them like sunspot said space jail space war space romance new mutants and the reason why that's quick is because we're going to get an in-story recap told by Roberto, told through Sunspot. It's a very funny bit of things, obviously, pointing that he is the greatest guy ever. 
talks about how the new mutants ended up going to get Cannonball Sam back. They end up meeting his wife, Izzy. You know, they ended up having a kid that thinks Roberto's the greatest thing. That's his insurance for later that you end up that Sam will always need him around. Things like this leading to the whole idea of their mission that they're on is to get Deathbird who is to go back to Chandelar and train her niece to be a good ruler. Now, this is going to cause some political trouble, and it's going to cause pretty much by the end of this issue, seemingly the end of the New Mutants, but we will see. I, I don't think that it is the end of them at all. Yeah, but we go into this where they are headed back to Chandelar. They ended up getting Deathbird, and Gladiator is told, hey, they're, they're almost back. A couple cycles, they'll be here, this'll be great. Well, you end up having Sybil, who is Oracle, saying, whoa, 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 hey, uh, Gladiator, I think there might be trouble here. I, I don't think you're going to want to let anybody know about this. Let, let's keep this under wraps, because you know how the ruling classes here on Chandelar, I mean, they are jerks. And if they find out about Deathbird's return, she was exiled, she is off, they're going to get mad. Now, this is all about the politics going on on Chandelar, the politics that are now going to involve different houses, different things. And Deathbird is from the Naramani bloodline and that's going to cause problems for people who don't want the naramani bloodline to continue or to be the rulers there on chandelar and unfortunately for everyone on the new mutants team the one of the people is sybil here who's saying this now this is part of her plan she's telling gladiator to not let anybody know about this let's shut down all the transmissions and things like that and it's almost like the idea of even we, we should go even further because maybe somebody will accidentally say something. So let's just cut down all communications now. They're safe enough. They'll get back here. This is just to pretty much do the classic, you're in space and nobody will hear you scream. When they end up going and what Sybil does, she goes off and ends up setting up. And, and very quickly, this isn't even like any sort of subterfuge for, for five issues. This is the next page where she goes, says to the Shire Death Commandos, which we will name in a second, all right, nobody's going to hear. It says nobody's going to hear their cries for help when you, Death Commandos, strike. Kill her, meaning Deathbird, and make sure that no one is left alive to tell what happens. So they're going off. They look pretty cool. I mean, these they, they kind of look a little ridiculous in my mind, but some of them, but they're cool enough. And here is who they are. You have Black Cloak, Flaw, one of my favorites, Devo, which you know, going to whip it. Hypernova, and I, I should hit that, you know, whip it, right? Uh, I would actually say uh, Through Being Cool is one of my favorite Devo songs, but that's just me. Uh, you also have Crate, Offset, Sega. Sega! Cam Sega, uh, Shell, and Warshot. So you get a couple cool names. And then the character designs look pretty good. And they do have a whole description. I'm not going to go through all the description of all these characters, what they do, what they look like. I, I just like the Birdman is what I like. He's cool. But, yeah, so they're going to go off. They're pretty bad, but they're going to end up trying to kill, uh, you know, 
Death Bird and all of the New Mutants as well. Well, while we're waiting for that, we end up finding out through a little bit of dialogue. And it's it kind of stinks because I like these characters enough, but they are kind of going to do a little strike here. And it is Mondo and Chamber. And they don't really like everybody on the team, particularly the guys. And they don't trust everyone. So when the attack comes down, they end up just, eh, we're going to be peaceful. We're not going to get involved. And that stinks but because it's going to happen quickly where the attack will be on. But before that, you do continue the fun of this series it's all roberto i mean roberto is the selling point so far for the in space new mutants because he's hilarious in his arrogance he's hilarious in just how uppity he is he thinks he is god's gift to everybody so i i just love the way that and he even in that recap deal at the beginning when he's talking about what they're doing he spends a whole narration box talking about death bird's legs how, how our legs are so great Well, he's like, I'm going to go talk to the hot lady. And he goes over to her. And I'm not going to tell you that she doesn't like him. She seems to be intrigued a little in my mind of just how arrogant he is. But it is a cool way not to just continue the fun of Sunspot. It is actually a cool way for us to get a little bit out of Death Burden before things happen. And just the idea of you know, her family and how rich they are. And because Roberto's like, hey, I buy small countries. It's not a big deal. And he says, my family's rich. We buy, I buy small countries. It's not a big deal. Where Deathbird says, oh, really? Well, my family is wealthy. I buy planets. It is a big deal. And it's such a great line. It really is. But it also shows you that this is a wealthy, powerful family. And we know that there's people against that. So I do like that play. Uh, But then even that, you end up having Deathbird just talk trash to Roberto. Like pretty much just, you know, mic drop, make him look like a fool. And he comes back with, wow, do you have any idea how refreshing it is for somebody to be interested in me because of my looks and not just my money? And it's so good. And he goes, that is an incredible gift. And I want to thank you for it. And that's when they get told that they are in big trouble, that they have gone through one of the gates and there is a super guardian smasher waiting for them. It's an unmarked Imperial death knot. It was waiting for us on the other side of the gate. They're they're freaking out. You end up having the pie. He's telling this to Izzy and they have sent a message to them. And Izzy's, well, what's the message? The message is surrender. That's all it is. And we're going to go back and forth from the bad guys to the new mutants where, you know, you, you find out that the plan is for the bad guys is to just go and get Deathbird. And it, because you end up, one, it, it's one of those things, you know, you end up where they could just blow up the ship. You could do this right away, but you have to have the bad butt Black Cloak, who's the commander. He has to just, you know, show how cool he is by saying, yeah, we could blow them up, but, you know, get me Deathbird and bring her on to our ship alive because I want to kill her myself. It's kind of a mistake, but then says, well, if that doesn't work out, then just blow the ship up anyway. And we'll get that done. All right, they're going to do that. So they end up sending two squads 
that are going to go off to attack the new mutants. Now, with that, we're finally going to get to see a lot of the new mutants in action. And you're going to see that they are bad butt. They are really bad butt, where you end up having this death squad that is supposed to be the be-all, end-all. They end up getting their butts handed to them by the new mutants. And as this is going on, too, you end up having Cypher show how cool he is. And I do like Cypher, where he gets on and he ends up being able to you know, decode all the messages that are going on in this Death Commando ship so he knows what they're up to. He says they're sending two boarding parties. The one is going to be a normal one and the other's cloaked. So that's like a distraction, whatever. All right, that's cool. And also they're, they're going to kill us all. All right, that's not great. It says they, they have plans to kill everybody on the ship. So they're going to come. So yeah, you end up getting, okay, Let's get these teams going. And unfortunately, like I said, you ended up having Chamber Amondo. They're, they're not going to be involved, which doesn't seem to affect that much while this is going on. But I'm sure we'll have some repercussions there. But yeah, you end up with Magic just as going to say, I'm just going to rip everyone apart. And she is so good in the deal because you end up where she's saying the boarding party like, okay. You, 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 and you, you go off to the one boarding party, and, uh, oh, well, what are you going to do, Magic? Well, I'm going to go after the other one. Like, it's just her, and she is bad butt. And, yeah, you end up having them all fight these commandos. And, again, the, the star of this, I think, besides Roberto through all the – it is Magic, who's awesome. But you do get to see Wolfsbane – end up doing everybody gets to do something here even if it is just deciding not to do anything uh so i did did enjoy it i I really did enjoy this deal where at the end though through all this as you're going through and you're like oh my god they're pretty kick butt i mean these new mutants they know how to handle themselves the the dreadnought then just boom just blows up the ship and they're all seemingly floating in space dead now and that's the deal. That's how it ends. And it's a very abrupt ending, especially because you're all excited. All right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Again, it's one of those things where Jonathan Hickman writing this, but anybody else writing the X-Men books. I mean, I'll even go to that Teeny Howard deal where Apocalypse died, even though she kind of, you know, got or he kind of melded him with Rogue. Where you have the new mutants, are they necessarily dead? And but you can resurrect them, so you have to play off things a little differently. And I like how he does this here because you, you just don't want them to die because you're having fun with them now. You're you're having some good times. So I did like this. I think the art Ronda Rice is not my favorite. I've said it every time, but it, it fits this story a bit. And it's weird because I don't think that his Art style would necessarily fit a space type setting, mainly because I I picture hard lines and, you know, crisp images for a space title. And he does not do that. He ends up having, you know, kind of blurry lines and kind of weird shadings at points and things. For some reason, I guess it's these characters or I'm just enjoying the whole thing in general i don't really mind the art that much so i give that full credit to both jonathan hickman and rod rice because i enjoyed this issue i'm giving it an 8.5 and now i'm going to go off to x-force which has been one of my 
favorite books. Let's see if that continues. All right, next, Force 5 is written by Benjamin Percy, art by Joshua Casera, colors by Dean White and Rachel Rosenberg, letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. And I think X-Force 5. That sounds like some Chuck Norris movie, right? Doesn't it really? Uh, Yes, and here is the recap here. You get once bitten, but not twice shy. We don't have that. Is this supposed to be a great white issue by any chance? After the assassination, and that's just the cover version, if you didn't know. After the assassination of Professor X on Krakoa, mutant leadership formed an agency for counterintelligence and combat application dubbed X-Force. Mysterious human strike teams have attacked Krakoan businesses, first in the Atlantic, and now a clean energy facility in Silicon Valley, prompting the deployment of Kid Omega, Domino, and Wolverine. But the humans were prepared. By detonating the Krakoan gates at the facility, they have taken out Wolverine and Kid Omega and stranded Domino on Krakoa. Now, yeah, the gate blew up and ended up pretty much cutting Wolverine in half. His legs were still on Krakoa. His upper half was now and is still in San Francisco. I ended up saying that it's like the Stone Temple Pilots song Creepies, half the man he used to be. But you end up having these paramilitary guys, these bad guys that are in this facility where you end up having the upper half of Wolverine. They dumb. They may be smart where they're hacking into things to steal money from the mutants. They may also be grabbing some of the petals and some of the medicines here. They're dumb because they keep going through this issue just pretty much writing off that Wolverine's dead. Now, the first bit, okay, you know, maybe that he's severed in half. You end up seeing entrails, things like that. Okay, maybe you could say he's dead. What are you, you paid by the bullet? Just put a bullet in his head, even if that might not do it, but at least try something. Oh, no, he's dead. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure he's dead. Later on, though, they have no excuse when they when they say this again. But you end up seeing Rogue there on Krakoa. And then you really it, it visually now you really do see, OK, well, Kid Omega was beheaded. His head is gone elsewhere. It's in San Francisco. It's like if you're going to San Francisco, be sure to, you know, have a, a head and not the flower, you know, whatever. You end up having Wolverine that he has his legs. His legs are back on Krakoa. Yeah, you have all this going on as Domino is still trying to get a hold of Wolverine, trying to get a hold of Logan because, yeah, he might still be alive. It's Logan, right? So she's trying to get a hold of him. Uh, And also trying to move his legs, things like that, but really, really needs to get to them. I need to get to them. I need to help save. But the gate's been blown. And you end up having Sage point out the nearest gate to that one is 10 miles away. So you can go through that, but you're not going to get there in time. And so we end up having who, who has become kind of my favorite guest star gateway because gateway poor gateway with these with these gates doesn't have a lot to do until he has something to do and again this is big this is the second time we've seen this in these books where they have to get a hold of him i i think he's holding out for more money i think he's pissed because he's not responding he's just there he's meditating as he does and they end up having to call in a favor to black tom who then has to kind of 
go through the vegetation to yell at Gateway, ending up knocking him off of this big hill deal or, you know, this perch he's on over the ocean. He ends up having to go through a gate, but he does get there. And you're going to have the team up of Domino and Forge. Forge shows up. In pretty much a exoskeleton mecha suit that he's made. Looks like it's made from the same stuff from Krakoa. That Domino's kind of arm freaking, I don't know what you'd call it. The gun that she has that's part of her now, but also has group powers and can turn into anything. I said it was a lot like Valkyrie's all weapon. But yeah, they're going to go. And they're going to kick butt. And they are angry. They're going to go get Wolverine. They're going to stop these guys. Now... I had said before that I had been waiting for Domino to really go uh, unhinged and take some revenge on the things that these guys did to her. This is when it happens. And she even says in in an aside that seems important, too. She's trying to get a hold of Logan. She's like, listen, Logan, I I don't know if you can hear me. you, You can't respond or whatever. But she mentions that her luck just isn't the way it should be. I mean, you see her. I mean, it's not very lucky to get flayed the way that she was. So she's like, yeah, it's just it's not working quite like it should. But, you know, we'll have to make do. While this is going on, you end up seeing that these bad guys, they're going around. They're doing the money deal, but they're also grabbing these pedals. They're grabbing the pedals. And as they do this, one guy's like, all right. Well, we'll go here. We'll do. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, half-body Wolverine, who's just been clawing himself towards them, just ends up, you know, pops the claws right through this one guy. And again, there he is. You should have killed him when you could, people. You end up where this should be the lesson. If, if you didn't realize before, realize now. They start shooting him. They are shooting the crap out of Wolverine. They say, hey. Do you think he's dead? The one guy goes, enough, you know, dead. And that's what you said before. And then they just go, ah, he's got to be dead. And they leave again. You know, they just leave him. But as they're saying that, I mean, I'm telling you, there's not much left. I, I really, if it's me, I, I would think, boy, he can't be alive anymore. Well, as this goes on, you end up, Gateway opens up the gate that he's doing. And you end up having him and domino and forge come out and pretty much that he's got to be dead and that's where he's i've got news for you domino yells you can kill us over and over until the end of time but we'll keep coming back for more and now you're you're pretty much just gonna get an extended fight while in the kind of war room in the hq you have beast and sage watching all this they end up mentioning hey everybody There is this helicopter above. We got to take that out as well, which that's what Gateway does. He ends up gating into that, kind of taking it down. It explodes. But while all this is going on, Forge goes to get the just destroyed body of Wolverine, gets it. Well, they have all also brought the the legs. And so he just picks them up and puts them together, you know, kind of, you know, twisting them so that that they can kind of merge into each other and heal as he just walks around then with this awful just goo and and guts and and things of wolverine who wants to be put down he put me down forge and forge like no no not until you know your guts kind of seal together and your spine fuses like we we can't do that yet well in the meantime this is where domino is going to go through 
all these guys and just destroy them for what they did to her. And she and as this is going on, Beast is just yelling to her, you can't do this. We need. And this is basically what happened before when Wolverine was doing this. He wanted to kill everybody because of what they did to Domino. Now, Domino, she's pissed at what they did to her as well, but also mad about Wolverine. So it's like twofold here where she is going through and ripping people apart and just destroying them even at the end part where there's one guy left and you end up having beast say listen remember what happened to that the people who killed you know xavier somebody ended up killing they didn't live we got to get going we know that this was something that was a play where somebody actually went and killed that guy while he was on krakoa so that he couldn't talk at the end but with this they're yelling you gotta let and she says no 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 this guy, and it's a lie. You know, this guy doesn't know anything. He, he's not even a person. He's a clone. He, he has no... Pe- this guy's like, no, I'm not. I mean, I have a dog. I have this. I live here. This is my name. No, no, he, he doesn't know anything. But she does end up letting him live. She pretty much makes him poop his pants probably six times. But uh, he ends up seemingly being alive because he's back on Krakoa as Domino and Wolverine kind of sit there and drink a little, talk about the the pain, uh, the physical and the mental pain they have been going through with all of this. And of all of the people here in, you know, Mutants on Krakoa, when you end up having, say, Psylocke and X-23 and Kid Cable who are like, man, well, we don't have a good time on this island because it's not us. We like to go out and have some fun. and We want to go and attack people and do that. Or you have the Marauders. They're all around on their ship going out. Boy, this X-Force team has, no, with, with Domino on it, no luck. They are destroyed. You end up having Wolverine cut in half. Kid Omega at this point is still cooking to get his head back, you know, to be alive again, really. Not even just head back, to just be alive. And it's funny, Domino's like, hey, where's Quentin? He's like, eh, he's baking in the oven still. Let's just be happy that the quiet for now because he'll be back. But yeah, they have been through the ringer already, and it's really good, and it's action-packed. That's why I like this. Well, you do end up seeing this guy that they brought back. He's in an undisclosed location on Krakoa, and Beast is going at him you know what did you do why were you at the you know that facility what did you steal and you know why were you doing it in in particular and the guy says you know it wasn't political i was just getting paid money that's all i'm there for I, i wanted some money and beast doesn't believe you know that's impossible any attack on mutants is always political what do you mean what's going on And the guy says and it does make beast kind of step back and think because he says a lot of people attack the 1% of the, you know, the riches, the 1% of the world. They're the ones who are the targets when you want to get a lot of money. You guys are the 1% now. I mean, things have switched. And I think that Beast realizes, okay, the tables have turned. We're the economic power now of the world. Yeah, we are a target. And they have been getting money. They, they have been grabbing the money you know, hacking into accounts, transferring all that stuff. So that would make sense. But there's just something else that's wrong. But Beast doesn't believe him. You end up having Gene there and says, no, no, no. You know, I've read his mind. He's telling the truth, just not all of it. And then she goes over and says, okay, why were you stealing the petals? Why were you doing that? Who were those for? And this is the big reveal at the end. 
the big, you know, twist or not twist, but it ties into the whole deal where he says, I, I don't know the guy's name, but he had a peacock tattoo. And this is the guy who started all of this at the beginning, the guy who ended up being the, the group that ended up you know pretty much flaying domino were the group that were involved in getting on to you know all this stuff that's going on it's the big story around everything so that's a bit of a reveal there not really a reveal but it is showing that the mutants now are aware of this and they can start looking into this even more uh i liked it i really did i I do like this and i do like joshua casera's art it's just that at some points it gets a little crazy and I, I didn't like the way and I know what it was playing out when Beast was interrogating this guy. He is trying to be the scary beast, you know, the scary thing to scare the. But it, it just it ended up looking comical to me. It, it just looked kind of funny. And that was the only thing. I, other than that, I thought it looked really good. And, you know, it looked awful at points, but it was supposed to things like that. And I mean, awful, like disgusting. So I did like it, though. And I do continue to probably like this book the most, though. The New Mutants book is starting to, you know, kind of win me over at points. So we'll see how that goes. And I love the last issue of the regular X-Men. So I am digging more than I'm not. It's just when I end up something like Excalibur in the next episode that I do will include Fallen Angels, and I, I just can't get into that book. That's a problem. And I'll, I'll let you know the next episode, if I continue to do three, an episode will be Fallen Angels number five, X-Men number five, and Marauders number six. But I am enjoying Marauders as well, though I, I worry about that number six. I, I can't remember the issue that I saw the big spoiler. Uh, something tells me it was Marauders number six. So that will break my heart, but that's the end of the episode one of the other things that ends up and i have realized this after doing a ton of podcasts uh the issues that i tend and you can even tell one of the longest reviews that i've had on these catch-up episodes was probably from the fallen angels deal and this one i talked excalibur almost twice as long you know as these others which I loved and didn't like, but that's what it tends to end up being. When I get angry at something, I want to really, I, I think that I have to show you why I don't like it so much that it ends up extending it. So I don't get yelled at. It's what I'm trying to say. I don't need to be yelled don't at. Don't question me. Don't question me. I mean, Hello, really. Science. Hello. Oh my. Hi-oh. But yeah, I, I'm enjoying doing these. I hope that people continue enjoying listening to them. That would be nice. So, uh, yeah, let me know. Uh, we do have an email. Not a lot of people have emailed us lately on the Marble deal, but if you want to, you can email us at weirdsciencemarvelcomics at gmail.com. And if they are about, you know, the X stuff in particular, I will read the mail during the X-Men catch-up deal. So if, if you want to just send me a line, let me know how you are, all those things. Yeah, just do it, and that'd be cool. But thanks, everybody. Don't forget to tune in on Tuesday night when me and Brandon end up doing our main show that we're talking about. I know that we are going to finish up World War Hulk, and we're also going to be talking about the end of the Avengers of the Wastelands, number five, that ends that series. And so we'll be doing those two and maybe something else. I'll talk to Brandon. We'll figure things out. But thanks, everybody, and I'll talk to you later.